This is the Gambling Gauchos. Welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I am Rob Bro. He is Mr. Gauchos, a.k.a. Kyle Jacobson. We're joined today to talk a little Baylor football and look around the Big 12 with Drake Seatoll from Locked On Baylor and Baylor Bearhead, who is cultivating kindness and is a Baylor football nerd, according to himself. I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. We'll be in the Cardinal Sports Center studio, as always, eating some Rojino barbecue, doing some Code Ninjas coding, and hopefully not needing to call. Barnett, Howard, and Williams will also be getting some financial advice from the Letterman and alum, both of them at Diversified Lenders. Without further ado, here is the live and unfiltered Big 12 Spaces with an emphasis on Texas Tech and Baylor. What's up, Drake? Guys, sports. Sports. It's that time of year again. Mm, football season, August, you have Texas Tech, Baylor, two teams that expect to go 11-1 and or 12-0. and Doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> I think Tech's that... going. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, we could probably get into that one. <laughs> what if we both agree to go 11-0-1 in the regular season and then just duke it out in Arlington for all the marbles? Yeah, I kind of miss the Big 12 having ties. Like, I, I think we need to go back and – edit those rules a little bit yeah well and as y'all both i'm sure are aware i guess you have to start baylor's ceiling at 11 and 1 because automatic loss in lubbock y'all haven't won here since 1990 it's crazy someone was telling me the other day that they stopped playing the series at home sites and went neutral but i'm not sure if anyone can confirm (laughs) that may or may not be true but it's also a historical fact, and so I'm just going to stick to my guns on that one. Oh, your guns? Is that a pun? Uh, it could be, yeah. Puns up. Oh, that, that's it. All right, I retire. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Hope everybody else enjoys it. Well, uh, Rob is in, so the gang is here. Um, why don't we, since we have probably a mix of Tech fans and Baylor fans in here, why don't you all start by introducing yourselves and kind of what you do to cover Baylor, and then Rob and I will, I guess, get the ball rolling. I'll let Drake go first because he's got more experience. So you're up, Drake. Uh, hey, guys. I'm Drake Toll. I host Locked On Baylor through the Locked On Network. I uh, have worked with Sikkim 365 recently as well and currently a senior at Baylor, too, so pretty connected with the whole uh, young Baylor crowd. But uh, across the board, have done a lot of work with the university. Was pretty tight with Joey McGuire, who – is now public enemy number one here. So excited to get into that too, if I have time. Uh, but yeah, great to be here. And beside Baylor Bearhead, who's one of the greatest up and coming Baylor personalities out there. Yeah. And uh, as for me, you know, I, I've just been kind of building a little bit of a, a personality online for Baylor over the last, you know, five, six, seven months. Uh, so I, I just look at stats. I'm very much into football history. So I, I probably have a little bit more of a, a pulse on the national landscape than most people covering Baylor, um, just because, you know, that's kind of my thing. Um, but I don't know, friends with Gachos, friends with Drake, you know, love to talk with Rob a little bit tonight. So excited to be here. 
Rob is the architect behind the gambling gauchos. I just send off some bad tweets now and then. That's uh, not true. Rob, introduce yourself to the Baylor folks and any of our listeners who might not be familiar with you. Uh, I'm Rob, bro. I'm on air weekdays, 11 to 1, except for this week. I'm on vacation on KKAM, and I talk Texas Tech football and uh, the Big 12. And I'm Kyle Jacobson. I uh, do the podcast with Rob, and uh, you can direct any anger at prior lists and future lists at me. Um, I can't blame Rob for any of those. Um, But, yeah, excited to talk college football. It's that time of year again. And this summer, as we started to kind of branch out and uh, try to get more followers and follow more people from across the Big 12 instead of just Texas Tech, came across both Drake and Baylor Bearhead and uh, really enjoyed following their content. So if you want to kind of keep a finger on the pulse of Baylor Athletics, they're a great follow. Um, Where do you all want to start? Because we kind of have a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, I, I like the idea of starting the whole is Baylor overrated thing. So if I get any vote in there, uh, I would love to tackle that one. Okay. Um, do you want to opine first or do you want me to go? You know, Mr. Gauchos, I'm going to pass it on to you. Okay. I, I actually, um, as I've been thinking more critically about this over the last few days as football season grows nearer, I've talked myself into – the idea that I think Baylor is likely to appear once again in the Big 12 championship game, probably against Texas or Oklahoma, whichever one of those programs can um, uh, avoid underachieving. I I just don't think Oklahoma State, which is the other team that's kind of up there in that top tier, I don't think they'll be as serious of a contender. And I'm buying all the stock I can in Blake's shape. And, and with how wide open the quarterback play is in this conference, I think – if you gave me some kind of odds on uh, Blake Shapin to finish as the first team all Big 12 quarterback at plus money or something, I think I'd be all over that. And I think that's going to sort of like lead the charge toward Baylor being one of the top two teams and having a chance to play for another Big 12 title. Mm. I think that's good. I think you, when you start with a team and how well they'll play, you've got to start with the quarterback play. And the reason why is because teams that have historically won the Big 12 championship are teams that have elite quarterbacks. And on the other side of that, quarterbacks or players who have won the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year have been quarterbacks 17 of the last 19 years. So that's just uh, basically a given at this point. It's going to be a quarterback most of the time on the best team. So Shaving can be that guy. But for me, I'll say this. The question being, is Baylor overrated? I would have said yes about 24 hours ago. I would have said Baylor has a floor of seven and five, and I was leaning eight and four. Here's why. Game in Lubbock, you haven't won there. There's the whole thing of 32 years, which is you know BS because the neutral site. But still, Lubbock's not an easy place to play. Joey McGuire knows the program so well, so he's going to have a leg up on Baylor. The flip side of that, too, you've got a game that uh, I think Texas Tech will be a scary team, and it's in the middle of the season. So Tech will have figured things out by then. On the other side, you also get the schedule up and down. West Virginia on the road, Oklahoma, Texas on the road. Those games are going to be huge as well. But what changed today? The Athletic released their list of freaks, and they said the biggest freak, which, by the way, for anybody listening, that if you ever create a list about anything sports, don't call people the biggest freaks because freak is no longer a word that you can use in a good context. It's just weird now. But Baylor's biggest freak wasn't Siaki Ika, who's my preseason defensive player of the year. It wasn't Jackson Player, who's a great defensive lineman. It was a guy named Gabe Hall. Now, if you don't know Gabe, he's six foot six, 
300 pounds. He deadlifts 750, bench presses 500. And the Athletic put him as their guy to be the guy for Baylor this season, the best guy. So if who I think is the third best defensive lineman on the team is someone the Athletic thinks is the best player on the team, that says a lot about your up front. Offensive line returns four or five guys as well. Where do you win games? The trenches. I think Baylor overmatches every team in the Big 12 in those two areas this year. So I don't think Baylor's overrated because the quarterback plays there. Both the lines are solid. Maybe you're going to beat Baylor, the wide receiving core in the secondary, and they go 10-2, 11-1. But still, that doesn't mean they're overrated. Yeah, just to kind of add on to that, like just looking at our defensive players, at, we got three guys on the line, probably two linebackers, and a couple DBs this year that are going to have a real good shot at first-team All-Big 12. Like, obviously, there, there's not going to be, you know, seven or eight defensive players from Baylor for first-team. But, like, just, just looking at the stats, like, comparing them across the board, Baylor for sure has three of the top, you know, six or seven defensive linemen in, in the conference this year between, you know, player, Hall, and, uh, and Ika, like, without a doubt. So just on the defensive side of things, you know, people love to look at uh, what we got in our backfield. But every single week, as I've been looking a little bit more and more into the stats across the conference for what different teams have, like I, I'm more and more convinced that we can hold up on the back end and our front end is just going to demolish teams. Like, yeah, absolutely crush them. So, you know, I, I don't know. I think we're going to have a great season this year. Rob, is, is Baylor overrated, underrated, or properly rated? I have some questions. Uh, who is the deep threat for Baylor and who's running the ball? Because we know the defense is going to be great, but... Who, who, who are the electric skill positions that I need to be worried about? Bearhead, uh, why don't you take the old deep threat, and I'll go into the running game. Yeah, so for deep threat this year, I, I'm, I'm a little bit on the more unpopular side of things. I'm on Baylor fans. I think that Ben Sims, they're going to throw him out deep quite a bit. But like A lot of times you're not really going to look at a team and, and see the tight end as, as your deep threat guy. But just looking last year, we did a lot of like uh, double-stack tight end sets where, you know, we, we've essentially got both of our tight ends on the short side of the field, and both of them are running verts. So, uh, you know, Sims is a, a preseason first-team All-Big 12 player, fantastic blocker, but, you know, out, out in space, he's, he's an actual threat, like the Charlie Kolar of the 2022 Big 12 season, in my opinion. Um, so, it, and if you're looking over at wide receiver, we've probably got six guys that are competing for those top three spots. So I, I could not give you an honest answer as to who's going to emerge. You know, obviously Baldwin balled out at the end of the year last year. But, I mean, honest to God, who knows? But a, a thing that gives me a little bit of hope for that is we had one returning wide receiver, right, out of our starting three or four, depending on the week. Um, and we moved them to running back. Like, the, the coaches thought that all four of our receivers that we're going to have out there at a time were better than our wide receiver four. But at the very least, you know, even if we don't end up having a wide receiver that can stretch the field in the same way as we had last year, we're going to have at least three or four guys that are solid, decent players. So, you know, I, I, I'm very confident in our pass game this year. Plus, with the quarterback play, like, that makes things so much easier. Last year, our guys were struggling at times to get the ball, just with ball placement. So, Yeah, Rob, I like the idea of that question, and I think a lot of people across the conference and country are going to ask, who's Baylor's guy on the wide receiver front? And it's a it's a legit question because I'm also asking that there are those five or six guys. That's typically not a good thing. And that's going to be a kryptonite secondary wide receiver. Do you have to have an elite wide receiver core, the best in the conference to win the conference? 
I don't think that's the position I'm hanging my hat on, but I still have my questions and worries. Running back-wise, though, the single best running back on Baylor's team is the offensive line. The reason I say that, a guy in Abram Smith last year was one of the most electric running backs across the conference, and no one knew who he was before the year. The reason why, he was a linebacker turned running back and still tore the entire league apart. No one could stop him, not because he had some wild intangible, some, you know, Adrian Peterson-like skill, but because the offensive line was so elite, they got him to the next level play after play. This season, Tay McWilliams is the guy. You've never heard that name, probably. Most people hadn't. Tay McWilliams has not played a ton of football for Baylor. Squirrel Williams is like a 26-year-old eighth-year senior who's also back there as well. It's a running back by committee, but the O-line is going to be the running back until someone develops into a consistent threat, which you're going to have to do, especially with BYU in week two. It's a tough game on the road. You, you can't develop a running back against Albany and have them be a star against BYU. So you now ask your five-star offensive line to be your run game. At the same time, though, I don't want to short Tay McWilliams. I think he can be a legit guy for Baylor at the running back spot, grow into his own, but it's going to take a few games. And and here's my question for you, Rob, right? Like, where did Abram Smith get drafted last year? Like, answer, he didn't. He, he wasn't some ridiculous athlete. You know, he was just a guy who put his head down, worked hard, you know, made tough plays. But all, all the things that you're looking for athletically – he, he, he wasn't, you know, top-notch. He was just a, a solid, decent player be behind a fantastic O-line. Um, so I think if we can just have somebody that, you know, fills the same type of spot where maybe he gets one or two yards past where the line gets him, that, that's all we need this year. So I, I don't have any worries about that. Yeah, I, I have a, I'm a big scheme over function guy. And I think Baylor's scheme is really good, both offensively and defensively. I... I mean, I would say they're properly rated probably toward the top half of the conference. It's just a thin margin when you don't have electric playmakers in the Big 12. Now, is it that much the case now as compared to like 2012? No. Uh, a lot more defenses are stepping up and you might have a an Oklahoma State type season this year for Baylor where you just shut people out and give up 14 points a game in Big 12 play. Or you could be Iowa State and be really close in a lot of games and not have enough offense. So I think Baylor is like a thin thread between 10 and two and seven and five. Yeah. I, the schedule projects to me, the schedule projected, especially 24 hours ago to me at, at seven and five. Again, the reason being you're going on the road at West Virginia. You've never won there. You're on the road at OU at Iowa state at Texas. That's not good. And Baylor's not historically good on the road. If they go eight and four, that'll be a big catalyst for the reason why, just because you go on the road that much, it's very tough to get into a groove. Any college football player will tell you that. So I, I still think if Baylor goes eight and four, I say, sweet, that that's a historically way better than Baylor's been. I'm sure everyone in this remembers when Baylor was the Vanderbilt or the Kansas of college football. They they were the original Kansas. We made it cool before Kansas made it cool to suck perennially. So an eight and four season to me wouldn't be a failure, especially with the gauntlet of the schedule. So I, I, I'm there. I'm I'm not going to be upset if somebody projects Baylor at eight and four. 10 and 2, I would probably move the ceiling to 11 and 1, but not be upset with 10 and 2 because, again, the schedule sucks. Uh, and, and it's a team that hasn't proven a ton. I would pitch back, though, because I know there are a lot, I'm looking through this, there are a lot of cacti 
think it's the plural of cactus. A lot of cacti in the listenership here. So I, I have wondered, it's burning my brain, the Texas Tech quarterback situation. Is that settled? Where is it? Does does Tech have a formidable guy that they trust who could lead them even to a bowl this season at quarterback? That is a great question, and I want to get into that because I know Rob and I are both pretty opinionated on it. Uh, But real quick, before we tie a bow on the Baylor season outlook, uh, we're a gambling podcast, so just quick lightning round. I'm looking at the consensus line for Baylor to win the Big 12 on action. It's about plus 575. If I split that in half and gave you plus 285 that they would get to the championship game, would you take that yes or no? Absolutely. Yeah, I think if you're looking at Baylor this year, we are essentially a single wide receiver elevating their game a little bit and a single cornerback elevating their game a little bit from being a a pretty unstoppable unit as a whole. Um, So if you're looking at those odds and you're thinking, you know, Will Baylor have either a better corner than we expect or a better wide receiver out of the six guys than we think they will? Then then it's a lock. I, I would absolutely take that. Give me a I, – I do – I am a gambling gaucho uh, because you can't be a gambling bear. It's a Baptist school. We don't really allow that. So I will, I will give my betting moniker to be a gambling gaucho. Give me a no. I'm going to lay off of that. I'm going to need – a little bit better odds to to bite on plus 285 um strictly from that's that's kind of that's how i bet i'm a stickler when it comes to that side of things uh but but yeah i think the schedule's just a little too risky and the games the team's too volatile on the road for me to say yes right now three games into the season if they win at byu i'll have a lot more confidence but i would still need to see that game in an away environment that's raucous before I put my money on that. How about if I juiced it to plus 325? Would that be enough to make you Yeah, buy? that's enough. I, I probably won't throw a whole unit. Give me like a three-fourths of a unit on plus 325. Thanks for, thanks for playing. Okay, good deal. Rob, what do you think? At plus 285 to get to the Big 12 title game, are you taking that? Uh, yes, because another reason I think Baylor's properly rated is because the rest of the Big 12. Though, with Baylor... And the schedule, even years, uh, two and seven, seven and six, seven and six, the last three even seasons for Baylor. Now, up and down, different coaches, I get it. But I think there is something to the schedule that Baylor has to play every other year. Yeah, dude, you're, a, you're a big – you're good on the trends. You see stuff like that. And so you're like even, even your Baylor. Um, I love that. Um, Rob, I'll let you – I think you're probably more opinionated than I am on the Texas Tech quarterback discussion. So I'll let you kind of summarize that for our friends at Baylor. I think it's a a two-player race right now. I went to media days and talked to several of the players and quarterbacks, uh, all three quarterbacks. It seems like the battle is between Donovan Smith and Tyler Shuck. And it also seems like Tyler Shuck is the odds-on favorite to be the starter. Um. It's just such a, a weird spot to... Oh, man. Hey, Siri. How you doing? She found something on the web. Uh, it's a weird spot to be in because you have a brand-new offensive coordinator with Zach Kitley. Um, and like Scott's scheme at Baylor, you just kind of hope that that's plug-and-play. Um, but I think Tyler Shuck's going to be the starter. And if you can use his strengths, which is throwing downfield and getting to Sparkman and... 
Fungi and some of those big wide receivers that Texas Tech has, I think you'll be fine. Uh, but if you have to live over the middle um, and spot out linebackers, I don't think he excels at that. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, I so when Joey McGuire was first hired, he actually hired Sonny Cumbie to be his offensive coordinator, who was the OC last season. And had Cumbie stayed here instead of taking the Louisiana Tech job, I would have probably said that Donovan Smith was a better quarterback in that system because I thought he flashed a lot at the end of the year. I thought he could have built upon that during the offseason and continued to grow. But in Kitley's offense, like you're saying, Rob, if the idea is more to push the ball downfield, um, more of a pass-first offense, whereas they kind of found creative ways to use Donovan's legs in Cumbie's offense, I, I do fully expect it to be Shuck to start the season. And kind of just an interesting dynamic for how the schedule shapes up. I could potentially foresee a scenario where um, he's sort of on a short leash. I don't think they're going to like tell him that, or um, I don't think that'll be explicit or anything. But he'll be tested early. Houston's a, a good team to play in the non-con. And then right after that, you go to Raleigh to play North Carolina State, who will probably be ranked in the top 15 or so. And so if it is really not going well. The coaches could make the switch before conference play even begins or even looking ahead a little bit further. The three games after that, you host Texas and then go to Manhattan to Stillwater before a bye week. So I could also potentially see a change happening, happening that uh, during the bye week halfway through the season. So I'm with you. I think it'll be shucks starting off. I think it's uh, unfortunately for like the fan base. I think there's a lot of division on a Good number one, it to be Baron Morton. A good number one, it to be Tyler Shuck. A good number one, it to be Donovan Smith. And that's just never fun to deal with because, like, every single mistake winds up being questioned by the fans. So I hope Shuck is ready to step in and take control of that job and execute Kitley's offense. But I imagine it will probably be an ongoing topic of conversation throughout the entire season. And just, just looking at Kitley a little bit, I hope you guys know. I don't know if you guys have ever dropped in while I was in one of my other spaces that I was doing. But Kitley, I feel like he's he's one of the guys in the Big 12 that you kind of have to look at it and see some potential there. Like, I, I don't care if I'm talking Big 12 coaches with LSU fans or Ohio State fans. Like, if we're, talk to, if we're talking coaches in this league that I'm excited about, like, Kit, Kitley's the dude, you know? Uh, I, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous of you guys, actually, because, you know, we have Grimes and I wouldn't trade the world for him. But if we were in the position where we were looking for somebody and, you know, Grimes is looking to be a head coach sometime soon. So I, I wouldn't doubt that we'll have an opening after a bit. Like like Kitley's the guy that I've been looking at for a while because, you know, he's kind of the brainchild of a combination of Kingsbury, Leach, both the Bryleses and half a dozen other coaches in Texas that have really kind of gone out there and created some dynamic offenses. So uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm real excited to see what he can do this year. Yeah, I think a lot of Texas Tech fans are too. He's kind of more in that identity that uh, was here in Lubbock during the heyday of the Mike Leach years, like you said. And I, I'm not, I'm not very particular. You know, if we ran the triple option and won nine or ten games a year, I'd take it. Um, but I also sympathize with the fan that wants to see a certain style of football. Um, Rob, do you have any thoughts on Kittley or the quarterback situation, or do we want to start taking questions from the listeners here? Uh, I have some thoughts on running the triple option, but uh, we can do do that some other time. <laughs> All right, uh, uh, Baylor. Go ahead by the way, it's uh, thirty-four to ten, beating West Virginia in the rain. So, there's oh, good. Um, 
Rob is doing a road to glory right now in NCAA 14. So, um, yeah, let's, uh, let, we can, uh, Baylor Barrett, we can talk more, um, a little bit later, but Conrad has been trying to speak for a minute here. So if I can figure out how to approve him, uh, we'll see what he has to say or ask us. And, uh, we'll just kind of go from there. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. Hey, perfect. Hey, this is... Uh... Oh, I think he's still connecting. Uh, hey, real quick, Baylor Bearhead is... Who's the backup? To... Hey, we can hear him, Kyle, by the way. Do what? You're speaking over Conrad. Oh, I can't hear everybody. Me. Everybody can hear but you. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, we got you, Conrad. Hey, how's it going? Hey, this is Conrad. I'm with 99.9 KMU uh, FM in Mineola, Texas, just north of Tyler. Um, big Red Raider fan. I uh, just want to ask what you guys' thoughts are on uh, Donovan Smith. Do you think he's going to be in the goal line package formation, uh, running quarterback uh, draws or uh, sneaks up the middle? Because uh, he's obviously a big dude. Um, and uh, uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, McGuire coming in first year? Obviously, uh, he's been with Cedar Hill High School. Uh, he's won three state titles. He's been with Baylor. Uh, he's, uh, you know, kind of like uh, Jeff Trailer, a face for the uh, uh, Dave Te- Campbell's uh, Texas Football Magazine for recruiting. So, uh, yeah, just tell us what your thoughts on the hire and Donovan Smith and the goal line formation. Did you get that, Kyle? I think, uh, I, think I, I got the second I, half of it. <laughs> I do think Donovan is going to be in the, the goal line package or, you know, between the 20s, but. Uh, a power package. I think you'll see kind of a wildcat. You you have a, a benefit of putting him in a wildcat and having a great quarterback as well. So, uh, but Joey McGuire has talked about that several times. Zach Kidley's talked about it. When you have such a specific uh, skill set with a guy, you, you have to use it. So I think, yes, they'll use Donovan in short yardage situations. I might have a bit of a hot take on that. I don't really see the point of switching out the quarterbacks to let Donovan run. I mean, Shuck is a big dude. He's athletic. He can run himself. I say whichever guy's a starter, if you want to run the ball with the quarterback, then just do it. Yeah, I think people kind of overvalue a goal line big quarterback um, because maybe you're able to get an extra yardage if, like you know, like an extra yard or two if the passing ability was the same if it's a bigger guy. But if you have a defense that's just not as scared of the ball threat, like – it, it, it doesn't make any kind of solid difference. So, well, the other thing is, we saw this last season uh, before Donovan Smith was kind of the full time starter. Uh, they would sub him in on third and two, and eventually the defense knows exactly what they're going to do a quarterback sweep around the end, and then they can snuff it out pretty easily. So, like, if Shuck is playing 90% of the snaps, then you bring in Donovan on the goal line or fourth and one or whatever, they know exactly what's coming. And so, like I said, Shuck is a big enough, athletic enough guy who can run well enough on his own. So I mean, I'm in favor of not messing with it and just leaving the same guy out there. I got uh, one more question for Baylor. What up, man? Hey, uh, could you kind of expand on Jordan Jenkins? Uh, he's a sophomore running back from Lindale. Uh, obviously, he's in my area of coverage, uh, you know, for where he's from originally. But what are your thoughts on him and his offseason? And what do you, do you think he can get in the running back mix this year? Uh, I actually ended up seeing a couple videos of him from our uh, strength and conditioning program. And dude looks like a monster, man. Like, for, for his size, like, he's a, he's a strong dude. But as far as playing time, 
you know, I, I know, obviously, you said he had connections with him. I wouldn't be very hopeful to see him on the field very much this season. Uh, that wide receiver I mentioned earlier that got moved to running back, uh, that's uh, Josh Fleeks. He's going to be our running back three. And he's probably the most experienced offensive skill player we return this year. Uh, you know, not counting the tight ends. So I, I, you know, maybe he breaks into the four or five slot. But if you're looking at, you know, Williams and McWilliams in the one and two, I, I think those guys have kind of got a clear step ahead. So, yeah, I, I hope he gets some playing time on special teams. Like, I could definitely see him as our, like, you know, kick return second level guy uh, if they decided to put him there. But I don't know. I, I just don't see him getting much playing time with the roster that we have. Perfect. Thank you so much. And Gamblin and Rob, I hope to see you guys in Lubbock for the UT game. I will be in town. So look forward to meeting you guys, hopefully. Absolutely. Yeah, we All will right, be around. Care. Thank you for Thanks, having me. Uh, we got the Rowdy Raider in. I hope he's not 30 beers deep already. What's up, Rowdy? Rowdy Raider, do you copy? I copy. I'm here. What's up, man? Oh, you know, just drinking beer. I thought you would be. <laughs> All right. Well, my only question is, is uh, on the on the uh, on the for it's for the Baylor Big Head or whatever his name is. Uh, is uh, when it comes to the defensive line and what you're talking about, um, uh, you know, talking. You know, it's an elite defensive line. Is that is that Big Twelve wise, or is that uh, nationally? Because uh, when it comes to the trenches, I'm just going to say this right now: the Big Twelve uh, uh, hasn't really fared too well against some of the bigger conferences. So I just wanted a little bit more, uh, you know, explanation on that. I just I'm I'm just curious. By the way, yeah, uh, drink on everybody. Yeah. So just one thing that I'd like to start with. Last season, Ole Miss had a very solid uh, offensive line through the entire season. You know, if you're looking at their sack rate through their first, whatever it was, uh, 12 games, like they, they were a pretty stout offensive line. We come in and play them in the Sugar Bowl, and we set our Sugar Bowl sack record. Uh, and that's with a horrible quarterback that's keeping our, our defense on the field quite a bit. So our guys were tired, and we still got, whatever it was, 10 or 11 sacks. Um, so... I think if you're if you're looking at quality SEC defensive lines or quality Big Ten defensive lines, talent-wise, you know, maybe by the time all those guys would graduate, they would be better cumulative, cumulatively than what Baylor has. But just looking at where we are right now, you know, Maxwell, Ika, Franklin, Utley, and Hull are all experienced, you know, third, fourth, fifth-year guys. Um and we have Jackson Player coming in, who was probably the best defensive lineman in uh, the American last year. So, I, I think if you're if you're putting them nationally ranked I, right now, I, I would confidently say they're a top ten unit. By the end of the season, I wouldn't be surprised if they were considered a top five. So, especially with the depth that we have, because you know we return all five of our top defensive linemen. We've got a great transfer coming in. Plus, even to our two deeper, we return everybody. So. Like it, our, our entire D line just got older and more experienced. All right. Sounds but, good. Well, if they finish outside of the top 10, you're going to have to drink 30 beers in one evening. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. I'm not your typical Baptist Baylor kid. You know, I've, <laughs> I've got a beer in my hand right now. So, 
Sounds good. All right, I'm out of here. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, goodbye. Adios. Let's let's talk around the Big 12 a little bit, uh, outside of just Tech and Baylor. Rob, what are some Big 12 storylines you want to bounce off of Baylor Bearhead while we've got a different set of eyes on things? Yeah, you were talking about the Baylor defensive line. Uh, would you say the Oklahoma State defensive line stacks up? Is that 1-2? Would you put Baylor 1 or Oklahoma State 1? If you're looking at Oklahoma State's defensive line, uh, they lost two out of their top three interior linemen. So I, I would say it is quite a bit different of a story. Obviously, their edges are going to be fantastic again this year. Uh, Brock Martin, you know, Lacey, Oliver, like some, some very solid dudes. Um, but, you know, when your interior is just even depleted slightly like that, I think it makes a big difference. And if you're comparing it, you know, Baylor versus Oklahoma State, I think we had a better interior last year, and we return everybody, and they lose most of their key players. So um, edge, I, I think it's going to be up in the air. Uh, but they are, they are a good D-line. Like overall, if you're looking at how they're going to perform, I think it'll be completely fine. Where they're going to struggle at is linebacker. So maybe maybe their total run package isn't going to be as good as it normally is, but their D-line will be just fine. Right, let's say Baylor goes 10-2. Uh, and two. Who did they lose to? Probably BYU because I'm not optimistic about our, our first couple games of the year. We got a lot of young guys in the skill positions that are still going to be figuring things out, uh, especially wide receiver, man. Like, you totally hit the nail on the head earlier. That That's for sure every Baylor fan's most concerned position right now. Um, also, if we end up having some corners that look a little bit poor and we have to switch some things around, uh, I wouldn't be surprised either. But I, I'm much less concerned about cornerback than wide receiver. So, yeah, for sure the BYU game. Um, second one, probably OU, because OU's only lost one home game in the last four years. And obviously they've been a top 10 team every year. So say they go 8-5 and five or, you know, 9-4 and four or whatever this year. We'll, we'll kind of get a true example of how good OU's home field advantage is. So, but I do have te- I, I have us going nine and three this year, and Tech is our third loss because at that point I think you guys are going to have some things figured out. I've got a question for you that I think a lot of Texas Tech listeners might be interested in. Um, Joey McGuire's been on the job for about what nine months, ten months. Um, so we've gotten to see him in press conferences and some clips from practice and things like that. What is something that we might not have seen yet as a fan base that we will soon learn about Joey McGuire? I think he's going to be a little bit more hands-on than most most coaches are uh, in the recruiting cycle. I, I know you guys have already seen quite a bit of that. I mean, if you're just looking at transfers alone this last season – you guys had, what, like like 20 guys or something? It was, it was ridiculous. I was looking at your transfers last week. Um, but just the way that he likes to you know interact with players and involve himself in the whole uh, recruiting transfer portal cycle is, you know, it, it's much different than your type of CEO, manager type head coach um, to where I feel like, you know, say, a, you know, in a normal situation, if an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator goes anywhere, Maybe he pulls a couple guys to go with him. You know, maybe if your position coach goes somewhere, then you might have a player to follow. I feel like Tech's not really going to have as much of those problems with transfers um, just because for, for a lot of these conversations that are going to be happening with recruits, it's not going to be that position coach that seals the deal. 
you know, it's going to be McGuire coming over and talking to them one-on-one. So at least that was our experience with him here over at Baylor. Maybe he changes things a little bit over at Tech, but uh, I do know that he's going to be one of those guys that absolutely kills it in recruiting. Yeah, and fortunately we've already seen, um, I would say, more than glimpses of that. I mean, when he was hired, I think we were 72nd or 78th in the recruiting rankings, and he got us into the, I think, upper 30s is where it landed. And that was with like a month before signing day. And um, I think there's already 20-plus kids in the 2023 class. So, I mean, yeah, he made an immediate impact in, in recruiting. Um, Rob and Baylor Baird, I've got a question for you. So Rob and I have been discussing on the podcast what it would take for each team to win the Big 12, working our way from the longest odds up to the shortest odds. And we haven't assessed the top tier yet. And everyone assumes Kansas will finish last, but – just kind of a fun angle, like opposite of winning the championship. If Kansas doesn't finish last in the Big 12 this season, who finishes below them and how does that happen? Uh, I have a for sure locked and loaded answer for this one. I've been thinking about this one myself, actually. I 100% would go, would go with West Virginia. If you're looking at the Amen. back, they are absolutely depleted. They lose all four of their top safeties. And I think they lose three out of their top four corners. So and that's just off the top of my head. So I I think, like, oh, my gosh, if they go against any kind of decent passing attack, they got no chance. Is the Graham Harrell first year OC West Virginia, too? Wait, yes, that he is. I think that's he, that. he is the offensive coordinator, but uh, they have the worst head coach in the Big 12. So That's true. And, and, you know, they still got some playmakers, but, I mean, there's only so much that Stills can do when you've just got liabilities back there covering the receivers. Like, the, I, I feel like they're the most handicapped team in the Big 12 this year because at least Kansas had a bunch of transfers to all their different positions. Like, West Virginia is just kind of doing the best with what they got at, at DB. So. so, Rob, you think that's also the answer, West Virginia? Yeah, 100%. And I might even uh, put them in there just – without Kansas being the worst. How about this? Well, first off, I want to say that it pisses me off that every single analyst and commenter and whatever always tries to make Kansas number nine and, like, put some trendy pick at number 10, and everybody's doing that with Tech this year. That annoys me. But what about TCU? And I mean that a little bit funny because I know uh, Baylor isn't exactly a huge fan of TCU. And, of course, they pissed off Texas Tech multiple times this offseason. But first-year head coach, the guy who's been the starting quarterback there the last two or three years, um, all of a sudden is no longer entrenched as a starting quarterback. They don't seem to have a super high ceiling to me at all. And that doesn't necessarily mean they have a, a floor that might bottom out where they'd finish last place in the conference. But I could see them having a really miserable season. What do you all think about that prospect? This might be a little bit surprising to y'all since I am, you know, a notorious TCU hater. I could very well see them finishing in the top half of the conference this year. Like, in my opinion, they're probably the most, you know, overlooked, underrated team in the Big 12. Um, If you're looking at their defensive talent, it's by far better than probably even including Baylor. Like, if you're looking back at recruiting rankings, who they have right now, especially at DB and linebacker, like just a bunch of studs. I think they just had a lot of problems last year where, you know, maybe maybe they, the coaches weren't making the right adjustments. or. But if you're looking at these players two years ago or three years ago for the older guys, 
Like, they're all solid players, and their offense is going to be leagues better than it was last year if they can even just marginally improve. And also, I think, you know, quarterback situation is going to be a little bit better, too, because at least you have some solid competition going on. So I, I don't know if you guys have wildly different opinions, but TCU is kind of like my my dark horse of the bottom half of the conference, if that makes sense. Who, who do you think is going to be the starting quarterback, Chandler Morris or Max Duggan? Just from looking at quarterback history, normally the coaches that have like a young guy versus an old guy and keep it going all the way through fall camp, it's kind of like the opposite of what Baylor did this year where they don't want to scare off the old guy because they want to have some depth. Um, I, I could very easily see it going to Chandler Morris. But, I mean, you know, Duggan's experienced. I wouldn't be surprised if he started. But if you're just looking at ceiling for the quarterbacks, I think we've seen all we can see out of Duggan. So, Yeah, Morris fits the offense better, but I, I agree. I think coaches, especially new coaches at new spots, prefer um, experience over talent, even, even at quarterback, which is crazy. I'm skeptical about TCU. Um, I don't see them finishing in the top half of the conference. Um, I don't think they'll finish below Kansas, but I, I would, I guess I'm about as low on them as y'all are on West Virginia, at least in terms of potential floor. Um, Baylor Bearhead, I know how tech fans feel about this, but as a third party, I won't call you a, a neutral third party, but as a third party observer, what do you think about? TCU not selling football tickets, single game tickets for one game in particular, and trying to make Texas Tech fans buy tickets to three games at a time to get into Amon G. Carter. Okay, so I have two answers for this. There's the the Homer in me that says that they're scared and they're you know a bunch of crybabies that couldn't stand to see the television screen with a bunch of red on it. Um, and then there's the realist in me, which says the exact same thing because they are scared. You know, TCU is not a – if you're looking at the type of interaction that they have on their campus, it's minimal except for big games. Um, I mean, back when they were good, obviously, they had some really good showings. But, like, last year when we played at their stadium, like, they, their stadium didn't even really start filling up until halftime, and that's a rivalry game. And So I, I think for you guys, you guys obviously have a very good traveling fan base. You guys have a, a very solid amount of expectations this year where – you know, if it was third year under a bad coach, maybe so many people wouldn't come. But you guys got a brand spanking new offense, brand new head coach. Like, people are excited about the program. And TCU doesn't want to see their own stadium get overrun. So that that's my honest answer. I agree. I think it's pretty pathetic. I mean, not even just that they would be overrun by the opposing fan base, but like you alluded to, I found a picture, first off, it's one of the smallest stadiums in the Power Five, so it's not exactly daunting to fill it up. Second, they're located in one of the largest metros in the country. You know, like, I can kind of understand with Lubbock being isolated that it's hard for some of our alumni base to get there every Saturday if you have to come all the way from Houston or something. But number three, like you said, even in big games, it's not full. Like, I found a picture from uh, 2014 when they were playing Iowa State in the finale. They were ranked number three in the college football playoff rankings and at the time, a lot of people assumed that if they won convincingly that they would make the playoff. And even for that game, like it wasn't a sellout. And so, I don't know, I thought that was pretty soft. Um, and I get that it makes sense. Like, all their fans say, 
well, yeah, Tech would take over the stadium if we don't do this, so it's smart. But it's like it's just kind of a pathetic premise to begin with, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think that the TCU administration knows perfectly well what what it's going to look like for you guys, especially up all, after all the stuff going on this off season. You know, the the whole cacti swarm that you yeah, guys have two weeks. Well, and to to kick the beehive about it, like they could have just not made single game tickets available, it would have kind of been quiet. But the fact that they're AD was chirping on Twitter to our fans, and then like the next week is when all the cactus stuff and the NIL stuff hit the fan. It just seems like unnecessary to give uh, a conference opponent any additional ammunition, but I think and hope we're going to see a Texas Tech team like fired up on a completely insane level for that game. Whereas without all this, it would have been. Still an important game because it's an in-state rivalry. It's a conference game. But now it's like, I mean, they really kind of poked the bear. And our fans, same deal. I think a lot of fans in the DFW area or even in like Austin, Houston, that might have made that trip because it's close by. Now that it's like a call to arms, they're like, hell yeah, we're going to Fort Worth and we're going to wear red and we're going to be loud and obnoxious about it. And it probably wasn't going to be that way without their AD stepping in it. Yeah, and it's not like the TCU administration really has to guess what's going to happen because you guys did the same exact thing last year with the Texas basketball game. So, I mean, we I think that's kind of becoming kind of what Texas Tech is known for at this point is, like, you guys aren't afraid to just, like, I, I don't know, Baylor doesn't have a very good online Twitter showing. You know, people are passing around stats and talking about the games, but it's, I don't feel like we have as much of a community vibe as you guys do because you guys really rally when you rally, you know, so... I'm expecting we, a lot of red and black this year at TCU. We do, yeah. And at Baylor. Thing, <laughs> yeah. Um, Rob, what else you got? I've kind of been on my TCU soapbox for probably a little bit too long. Yeah, um, I don't see it with TCU either. Um, what about Brent Venables as the head coach? We haven't really talked much about him yet. Um, great coordinator, but is he Wade Phillips? Not in year one. I mean, if you look at what he did at Clemson, year one, their defense looked basically the exact same as it did the year before he got there. It took him a year to get to where he really wanted to get to. And then by year, you know, three and four, he was fully rolling. So, you know, this season, absolutely not. He's going to be, I mean, how much can you really do with OU's defense when you have a lot of guys leave? And obviously you've got some talented guys up and coming, but there's some bad habits that you have to break. Obviously, new cycle, new scheme. So, I don't know. Year one, not impressive. Year two and three, I think you could actually be building to something. I think the the news from the last week has been interesting. It's kind of made me wonder if it's a mess over there. And maybe that maybe that goes away in time and after a couple wins. But part of me kind of makes me wonder if there's, like, losing control of it already over there. But I will say Brent Venables has recruited a lot better than I thought he would. I mean, a lot of new coaches get that new coach bump, but I think there's a lot of noise about, oh, you might not be able to compete in the recruiting world in the new SEC. But he has a really good recruiting class as of right now. So, I mean, we'll see if he can match that on the field. But that's one area that I I think he's kind of been a, a pleasant surprise in, at least from the expectation I had going in. Yeah, I don't think that you can really look at OU. That narrative drives me nuts. Like, you you can't look at OU being the blue blood that they are and think that one coaching change to a guy who's been a very successful coordinator 
at a top five program over the last decade is just going to absolutely flop in recruiting. I, I don't know. I, I think he's going to be perfectly fine talent wise because he's already got guys this year and he's got a lot of experience too. So it's just going to yeah. be implementing the system. That, that's I all. I didn't think he'd flop. I thought he would just be more like a, a top 20 recruiter. Um, but it, I'd, I'd have to go back and look at the rankings and they could change. But I mean, I think they are going to have a, a real shot of being top 10 and, you know, we'll see if he can stack a few classes like that. Um, but I don't know. It's just the, all the drama about the Kale Gundy situation. And uh, I don't know. I wonder if like there's any locker room issues or anything like that going into the season over there. Yeah, that was weird. Kale Gundy stuff. All right, one more question for you guys. If you could take one transfer from another Big 12 school, who would you take? As I throw in freaking A. Sorry. <laughs> throw a pick. <laughs> Anyways, one transfer. Sorry. Oh, uh, I don't know if you've got one, Kyle, but I need to think about this one for a sec. I think, man, um, I'm definitely definitely looking in the trenches. I would maybe opt for King Felix from Kansas State. I think pairing him with Tyree Wilson would be a pretty uh, pretty deadly combo and also add some depth at a position where I think you're good if everybody stays healthy, but um, you know if a guy gets if a guy or two gets injured on the defensive line at tech, that's when I would start to worry about if you'd be able to stay competitive in the trenches late in games. Um, so I think that's my answer. I, I could also probably come up with a, you know, really bona fide offensive lineman, um, that would be a plug and play guy at tech and, and improve what might be the biggest question mark of a position group, but that's what I'll go with. My, my first thought, just thinking about it, uh, was probably going to be Xavier worthy. And I think that that's any real fans knee jerk reaction, like go for the big playmaker, but I think I'm going to have to go with Travius Hodges Tomlin because if we have a solid island corner and like, no doubt he's, he's a fantastic island corner. We would like, th- this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I I'd be pretty confident putting us down if I was putting money on it to be a top five defense this year. Cause you know, corner is really the only place where we need to put somebody else in. We've got three guys that are returning starters at some point in the year last year, two of them were full season starters and the fourth guy got a bunch of playing time. So really that fifth DB is what what's going to make or break our defense. So that's who I go with. Rob, answer your own question. Yeah, if I was Baylor, I would definitely go Xavier Worthy. Um, but corner is obviously huge too. Especially in today's Big 12, when I, when I think secondaries are kind of the new offense. If you can lock people down and kind of getting that uh, Iowa State mindset where you just kind of control the defense, which was forgotten in the Big 12 for so long. Um, man, it, it, the question really comes down to what holes do you have? Uh, and I think Texas Tech has some holes, but I, I don't know who I would grab. It feels like you should say a quarterback, but I don't know that there's a quarterback in the Big 12 that, like, is way better than what Texas Tech has. Like, Spencer Sanders has been there forever, but he's going to throw 17 picks this year and 20 touchdowns, maybe. And 10 of them are going to beat a Baylor again. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's a... 
I would have to do my own research. I'm just throwing out the hard questions. I want to answer them, man. No, I think I think for anybody that doesn't have an established quarterback, you should probably go for a quarterback. And obviously, you know, Shuff had a he had a decent season when he was playing last year. But considering that you're still in such a complex quarterback battle going into fall camp, I think you would just have to pick a solid quarterback. Um, but really, I don't think there's a wrong answer for Tech. I mean, who if you if you could replace Shaven with quarterback in the Big Twelve, who would you go with though? Quinn well, Ewers like, proven. Is it Dylan Gabriel? No, I, I feel like Shapen is a much better quarterback than Shuff is, right? Like, if you're looking at all the, the stats that he put up at the end of the year last year, he was going against, like, two out of his three games were against top 25 defenses. Uh, but, he didn't but, look good against Tech. Yeah, I know. And okay. he still had, like, what, like a 70% completion? Like, that was his worst game. And it was it was kind of just, like, a weird game for him. It was a weird game. It was rainy. Yeah. So not not the best atmosphere to be throwing the ball in. But if you're looking at like his more advanced stats, uh, I think I mentioned these when uh, Gauchos was on a uh, another space I was doing. But for everybody that wasn't on that, uh, Shapen, when he's throwing between the numbers, completes 94% of his passes. When he's throwing from a clean pocket, he completes 86% of his passes. Like compare that to any other quarterback across the country, and he's going to be like a top 10, top 15 guy for both of those stats. Um because 94% between, so if, like, I don't know if you guys ever look at that stat at all. I feel like it's kind of underrated. Completions between the numbers is essentially any throw, like, if you just think about it, right? It's any throw that's not ridiculously long, whether that's a fade or, you know, an out route coming off the back shoulder or a throwaway pass. So anything he's not throwing away or throwing ridiculously far, he's completing 94% of those. So basically, like, 19 out of 20 passes. So I, I think Shapin's head and shoulders above, you know, at least seven of the starting quarterbacks this year. So, I mean, I, I already said I'm buying all the stock in Shapin that I can, and I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, um, you know, fast forward four months and he's first team all Big 12 and considered the best quarterback in the league. And he played good opponents last season, like you said, but it was still a limited sample size in terms of number of games. And there's a difference between, like, being named the starter for the first time and doing it a few times before there's a bunch of tape on you, but what level do you think he can sustain for 13 games this season? Cause I mean, I don't think he's going to throw 94% um, over a, you know, 400 pass attempt sample size. I think he could still break 90 for that, to be honest. Like, I, I know that may sound like a very Homer take, but I, I don't consider that to be, you know, my perspective. Like I said, I'm, I'm predicting Baylor to go nine and four and lose to tech. That's not exactly like the Homer and me screaming out, you know, like I, I think Shapin is the guy. I think he's going to be the next Seth Russell for us. Like if you're talking about how, how, like in what world could he perform badly, it would be stuff that's not on him. Like either our receivers are just absolutely horrid and much worse than anything. The fans or even the coaches, like, like they would have to be worse than fleeks is. Um, that, that's the only way he's going to have a bad season this year. So, I, I don't know. If you just look at the type of throws he was making last season, even when he first got in against K-State, like, it's not like we were doing some ridiculously different things with him. Like, he, he just made some some good plays. Like, he threw a nice fade at the beginning of the K-State game. He threw a nice slant when we were playing. Like, it, it's just simple, simple plays that he was performing well. So... We didn't do anything special with him last year because our offense wasn't very complicated because we were, we designed it around Bohannon. 
So this year, now that we've had an offseason to actually install stuff, that's going to be good for him. Like, I don't know. I, I see a very solid year for him this year. I'm with you, for the record. I mean, I don't know. I don't have any kind of forecast on what his specific numbers would be, but um, I think he's extremely talented. And like you said, uh, the weapons might not be proven around him, but he'll very likely be thrown from a clean pocket uh, a really high percentage of the time, and that goes a long way. So I'm a believer. I mean, count me in on uh, buying all the stock in Blake's shape. And um, we covered a lot of ground. I guess the last thing, I hope I'm not, not opening Pandora's box here, but um, you know, realignment has been a discussion all summer. Uh, what do you think from like Baylor's perspective? What are you all looking at? Any concerns or like preferred scenario once this all unfolds? Well, for most schools that are our size, this would be a death blow. Like everything that's going on with NIL plus losing our cash cows in Texas and OU, like this this would be the end. Fortunately, Baylor has, you know, two or three business moguls that are willing to pump in tens of millions of dollars every year to prop up our program. Um, and hopefully we'll have that 30 years down the road. Like I, I don't see why that would change. Um, but even still, like, like, I don't know. I'm a very traditional football fan. I'm going to miss playing Texas and OU, but I'm going to miss their money a lot more. Um, if we're being honest, like I, I wouldn't mind losing to Texas half the time, as long as, you know, Baylor wasn't negatively impacted on the national scale. So I, I don't know. That's a, that's a very deep question. A lot of facets to it, but at the end of the day, like I, I love the teams that are coming in. I think we are no longer as a conference, even close to being in the national conversation. I mean, even though we didn't perform well over the last decade, we still had some national championship caliber teams. You know, if you're looking at 2017 OU, you know, 2012 uh, Kansas State, 2011 Oklahoma State, like those are all programs that realistically had a shot. Um, but with just the amount of consolidation that's happened, even in the last five years, right? Like, I think Bama's blue chip ratio is up to like 90%. So how do you compete with that when you have a bunch of, you know, three stars? I don't know. Like, I just, I don't see an answer there. But I think it'll be a fun conference. You know, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, Baylor, BYU, the rest of the teams are going to be just, you know, a half step below. So it's going to be very competitive. We got a question from one of our listeners in Utah. And he's asking if Baylor and BYU can form a rivalry called the potluck controversy or the potluck conflict. Would y'all be down for that? I think we already got a little bit of a rivalry going on as of last year. Like right after that game, I, I had a bunch of BYU fans I was talking with. Um, and I think that everybody kind of was on the same page immediately after the game where it's like, hey, all those BYU fans that were in Waco, they're just like the Baptists in Waco. <laughs> so. I think that there's just kind of like a common community where it's going to be a rivalry, but maybe like the, the, you know, least tense, most happy rivalry in the country where everybody's just shaking hands and grabbing non-alcoholic beverages outside the stadium. So I don't know. I, I would love that. And the, the name's kind of funny too. So the sober series. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. At, hey, at least, at least you guys don't show up at my front door. That's true. Hey, <laughs> have our portions too you know we have our fans i'd say probably like 10 percent of the the students here at baylor are homeschooled and probably half of those are are and like no knock against homeschooling but half of those are you know parents wanted their kids to be able to spend more time you know evangelizing so uh 
we're, we're not too far from the Mormons in that sense. What are y'all's thoughts on Iowa State? Oh, I, you guys can take this one if you want. Okay. I don't have nice things to say. Um, I am pretty low on Iowa State. I, I think highly of Matt Campbell and... You know, their fan base is energized right now. I think they'll still have a good – I think it'll be a tough out in Ames. But I think they'd be – I think I think a good season for them would be middle of the pack in the Big 12. I think they'll probably be bottom half. They have to answer a lot of questions. Re- yeah, they lost their running back, right, to the draft? Yeah, running back, uh, middle linebacker, safety – uh, top two tight ends. I mean, a plethora, a plethora of replacements they have to find. Yeah, out of their 22 guys, I think they're only returning like eight or nine starters. And if you look a little bit deeper into the two deep, like on offense, they're okay. But on defense, like, oh my gosh, they lost both of their safeties. They lost four out of their top six linebackers, including their two starters. So I don't know, like their D line is going to be okay this year. Everything else is going to be horrid on defense, and their offense is just going to be so young. So, I don't know. Like I said, not a lot of great things to say about them. I do think Matt Campbell gets a little bit too much hate because if you're looking at a lot of the guys that he was playing when people were knocking him for those seven and five seasons, like he, he still didn't exactly you know, have a completely solid roster. He just had a very unlucky season last year when he actually did have the roster he was building for to where he lost some games that statistically, if, if he, he were to play the exact same way, you know, 100 times, he'd win most of those close games 60%, 70% of the time. So, I don't know. I, I actually like Matt Campbell, unpopular opinion, but... I, think I agree with you. I, and I think people, like, I think 7-5 and five is not the same everywhere. Like, when you go 7-5, and five, five years in a row at a place that hasn't had five winning seasons in a row since the Great Depression, that's a big deal. Like, I know that... Going seven to five at Oklahoma State right now is not a big deal, but um, and I think you know after you've sort of elevated your floor like Campbell has, and people start to expect better than seven and five. But um, he's still he's not new there. But I think like the COVID season was his fifth, and you know everybody knocks him for not having a ten win season ever. Well, they got shorted two games that season. Probably would have won ten if it was a full twelve game schedule. So. I don't think he's – I think some people go overboard with it. Like, I guess uh, some K-State fans get mad when he's compared to Bill Snyder. I've never seen that comparison. That's a ridiculous comparison. But um, I think highly of Campbell. I mean, I think he's probably – I mean, I put him number two on our list of Big 12 coaches earlier this summer. Uh, part of that is three of them, uh, right? Three of them are new this season. Um, or two. or Three are – yeah, Venables, McGuire, and Dykes are new. Leipold and Sarkeesian only been there one season at their respective schools, so not like a ton of competition there. But, yeah, I think Matt Campbell, like, probably there was a moment where he was a little bit overhyped, but now it's sort of the tide has turned too much, and now everybody kind of thinks he's overrated, and I don't really think that's the case. Yeah, and after last season, I think it was kind of telling. Iowa State probably had the biggest exodus of solid players out of any of the schools in the Big 12. Outside of maybe Kansas, but but their solid players were, you know, heading out of Kansas and going to Missouri State or something. Like, Iowa State had guys going from Power 5 to Power 5. They lost they lost five of their quality defensive players last season. Like, that that's horrible. That, like, the, the retention rate on that, 
that that essentially like takes a, a year off what Matt Campbell had been prepping for with his guys. Like all these guys were supposed to be, you know, third, fourth year guys in the program, stepping up to finally be, you know, first string or second string dudes. And they lost five guys to the transfer portal. So I, I don't know if that's just a culture issue or maybe some of these guys saw what the rest of the team looked like and thought, I want to get out of here as quick as possible. But um, yeah, not, not looking good for the next couple seasons at least. Rob, any final thoughts? Uh, I don't believe so, man. I think we covered it all. We covered, I think, pretty much everybody except Kansas and Texas in some form or fashion. Kansas has uh, Kenny Logan, and other than that, I don't know how much we need to talk about them. Yeah, I don't think you do, except for that one game on the schedule when they play Texas, because as we know, that one could go either way. That's going to be a hell of a game. Yeah. Um, and with Texas, it's just like, are they gonna, are they gonna underachieve or not? Like they've got the talent, um, they've got shorter odds than everybody but Oklahoma to win the conference. Some of the analytic sources like FPI are high on them, but that's been the case pretty much every year, and that hasn't kept them from underwhelming. So I mean, it's just, like I don't even really feel it's hard to even discuss them before the season because that's like pretty much all it ever boils down to with them. Yeah, I, I think for Texas. It's kind of ironic considering what happened last year with Kansas, but this year they're going to be in my, and I've been saying this since spring ball, they're going to be the toughest team to upset out of any of the big 12 teams because they can just play that quick, you know, screen pass game if they need to, just as long as there's not a crazy good defensive line on the other end, their skill players can carry over the offense. Like, you know, if, if they're playing the Kansases of the world, their, their offensive skill guys are just going to absolutely demolish who's, whoever they're playing. Um, but th that being said, I think they also have the lowest ceiling out of the top caliber Big 12 teams because, again, like they, they might be starting two freshmen this year. So if you've got a, a true freshman offensive guard going up against, you know, first team preseason linebacker Dylan Doyle, you know, where a normal offensive lineman might only let the guy through, you know, once or twice every 10 times, maybe Doyle's got a 50 percent, you know, breakthrough rate. So. I don't know. I just I don't see Texas making the title game, but I definitely see them breaking eight wins. I think so too. And that completes I don't think we missed anybody, right? I, I don't did we talk about K State very much? Maybe a little bit. Oh, no, not really. That's I think the only other team we, we missed out on. They've been a, a popular They've been picked as a dark horse contender so often. I don't know if they can actually keep that label of being a dark horse because if everybody thinks you're a contender, then you're not a dark horse. I would say yes, but only because I think they're still in the bottom half of the Big 12 odds. I haven't checked in a while, but... I yeah, they are. Yeah, so if you're in the bottom half of the, the odds from Vegas, I, I think that still counts. But yeah, everybody's a little bit higher on K-State than what Vegas would say. Um I don't know. In the last couple of days, even, I, I've kind of gotten a little bit cooler on them. So uh, I think they'll probably finish, you know, third or fourth. Maybe they, just, they just always play tough, no matter where they go. That's true. Plus, yeah, they got to do, uh, you know, quick snap, no huddle action offense, like that Erdhart Perkins that, uh, that uh, the Patriots run, very similar style offense. So I, you can't really tell what exactly that's going to look like until the season hits. And that could very much disrupt a lot of teams' defenses. Yeah, and they 
you know, a lot of it's going to boil down to Adrian Martinez. Um, Deuce Vaughn, as long as he stays healthy, is a huge weapon for them, and he, he's can, he can keep them in a lot of games. Um, Rob and I, when discussing Kansas State, we're pretty low on Adrian Martinez just because of the turnover rate at Nebraska and kind of, I don't know, he's sort of been more or less the same player for three years there, and rarely does a guy start 35 games and then all of a sudden take some leap forward. Um, but I was talking to some K-State fans who pointed out some of these stats, uh, just how bad his O-line was at Nebraska, like his pressure rate, his sack rate. And even if Kansas State has like a mediocre or average offensive line, he's going to be throwing the ball with less pressure in his face than he ever has in his career. So maybe that does make a difference. I don't know. But I just think so much of their season depends on the quarterback play there. I might be mistaken, but I think he led the power five in pressure rate last season. So and, and wow. that, quote, that quote that he gave, right, where he first, when he first got to K-State, he said, you know, when I first got here, I could tell that this was the most talented group of people I, I had ever played with. And, you know, normally for Nebraska, that wouldn't even be close to true. But just looking at the type of guys he's got on his O-line, like, hell yeah. Like, he, he's actually going to have some dudes that will protect him. He's going to have some guys that can actually catch the ball. Uh, you know, tight end, I think, this year for K-State. Um, you know, maybe not like an excellent group, but still solid. So, Yeah, I think that stat is correct that he had the highest pressure rate in the Power Five last season. And I, I think this is correct. I think as a unit, Nebraska's offensive line and pass protection graded out the lowest in uh, PFF, which there's some debate about how good of a uh, system that is. But they had one game where one of their offensive linemen rated 0.0 in PFF. So, I mean, like, I think there is some validity to that, that he could have been severely hampered by how bad his offensive line was. And so we'll see. You know, there might be a different version of Adrian Martinez this year. Um, I was kind of low on him until I learned of that. Um, so, I don't know. I guess I'm a little more open-minded to giving him a chance and think that if he can take care of the ball, that K-State might be a little bit more formidable than I thought previously. And I think that sometimes you can get a bad quarterback surrounded by good players and still have a pretty good offense. Like, if you're looking at Baylor in 2019, we made the title game with a guy who was an absolute liability at quarterback. You know, like, uh, if you're looking at Charlie Brewer's resume after he left Baylor and went to places that were either, one, still trying to find an identity or now at Liberty, you know, places that just don't have that level of talent. I had a question. You know, he, he's just not going to be solid. So, you know, speaking of Adrian Martinez, both of them, between him and Casey Thompson, you know, both of them switching teams, you know, y'all's opinion, who do you think has the better season? That's a good question. Um, I, hmm. I think I've been convinced that Adrian Martinez could have a better season with K-State's O-line. So I'll go with that. Yeah, I'd say K-State too, because just everybody around him, I, I feel like probably every position group is probably better than what Nebraska has. So, And with Adrian Martinez, like for all his flaws with the turnovers and the sacks and everything, he did make some pretty serious plays where like you can tell he's a talented athletic playmaker um, I don't know if I really saw as high of a ceiling from Casey Thompson in, you know, somewhat limited action at Texas. So, I, I yeah, I'm going to go with Adrian Martinez on that one. Given that 
Casey Thompson's at Nebraska, and Dylan Gabriel is the new quarterback at OU. Do you see OU struggling against Nebraska, or do you see Nebraska struggling, you know, against OU, given that you've got two new quarterbacks going into two new systems? I think technically Gabriel is uh, not going into a new system. He's just going back to his old system. So I would say that'll be a pretty seamless transition. Yeah, the one thing for Gabriel I'm really worried about is just kind of longevity. If you look at the type of guys that are normally required to run that, you know, run and shoot or veer and shoot, whatever that branch you want to call it, um, because I know they kind of have a little bit of a a mixture going on at OU this year. Um, The guys that normally have to play in that system are 6'2", 6'3", and about 30, 40 pounds heavier than what Gabriel's going to be weighing at this year. Um, And even if you're looking at last year, right, like the the quarterbacks that were running that kind of system, like Ole Miss, they ended up missing, you know, half a game here, third of a game here because of injuries piling up. Because your offensive line will take a little bit wider splits, and you just have a little bit, you have a little bit more risk of getting a big hit on you. So, Nebraska, though, I I, I think he's going to be fine at the beginning of the year. It's just going to be an attrition thing for him. Appreciate it. Okay, I guess that officially covers every Big Twelve school. Um, Mr. Bearhead, appreciate you joining us, and I'm sure we'll be talking more throughout the season as we go along. Yeah, for sure. This was great, man. Uh, right before we go and play the butt bowl this year, I'd love to <laughs> things are at and talk about it again. Yeah, and if y'all do beat us, be prepared for a tweet that says, Baylor has only won in Lubbock once since 1990. If you do that, I'm going to start at a day's counter from days <laughs> Baylor lost in Lubbock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. Um Cool, man. Well, thanks for joining Tech fans or fans from other Big 12 schools here in the spaces. Give Baylor Bearhead a follow. He's got some great insight on his Twitter, and uh, he'll be a really good follow during college football season. Thank you for joining, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Love you all. Hey, hey, did Thank you, Cam. Arizona or Arizona State?